Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is the podcast people tune into for in-depth discussions on the latest research from our foremost leaders in self-improvement, so you can be growing and more equipped to live at your fullest capacity in body, mind, and soul. As you listen right now, you're likely thinking of hearing or learning something of interest and something that will help equip or direct you toward more of what you want from life. We're all here striving to grow and better ourselves for an end result. Otherwise, you'd just be listening to music or a crime or comedy show. And I'm a full out believer in this concept of learning and growing, which of course is the point of the self-helpful podcast. And I'm ever more interested in seeing a challenge or commitment catapulting our learning curve from zero to hero almost overnight and in some aspects bypassing all this stuff meaning you can listen to a year of my shows this summer my book what drives you comes out i think it's really good but you could probably skip that and instead just make a big commitment to something you care about and it will do more to shape you than any amount of content teaching and guidance This is the message we got from legendary visionary and humanitarian Lynn Twist in her book, Living a Committed Life, Finding Freedom and Fulfillment in a Purpose Larger Than Yourself. This is part three of my series on Lynn and her message, and I invited a special guest to co-host the discussion with me. Jared Angaza is an activist and philanthropist. He spent over a decade in Rwanda and Kenya working to pull women and children out of sex slavery. As of late, he's devoted himself to the space industry, specifically space for humanity, and advocating the overview effect recently made famous by Star Trek celebrity William Shatner. Those are those are just bookends of a life that he's had dedicated to some big efforts. And Jared cites Lynn Twist as a primary inspiration to his life and has lived what Lynn talks about and experienced a devotion to a cause as the most profound tool for shaping him into the kind of person who can make a world impact. Jared is also my full on blood brother. Uh, while in Africa, he actually changed his last name from Miller to Angaza to fully embrace his purpose and big commitment, his passion and his vision, which you're going to hear us talk a lot about today, vision. So following is our discussion on how this message of commitment from Lynn Twist has played out in Jared's life and the lives of others we've walked with, my own as well. You'll also hear some brotherly riffing on some past adventures. Um, you can find Jared at Jared, J-A-R-E-D, on Gaza, just like it sounds, A-N-G-A-Z-A dot com. And of course, you can find Lynn Twist's book, Living a Committed Life, anywhere. Hey, if you found value from this self-helpful podcast, this episode, it'd be great if you would leave a rating and review, let other people know what to expect. Best thing you can do, talk about what you heard here with someone else. Keep the conversation going so you learn more and they do as well. Next up, I talk about Lynn Twist's message about commitment making the person with my brother, Jared Angaza. And quick FYI, Jared is also the architect behind my new website and branding. You can check that out at kevinmiller.co. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a 
tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So here we are working together and I just mentioned to you that, uh, Hey man, so I've got this lady on the show, Lynn twist <laughs> and you're like, son of a gun. So, uh, I didn't know I didn't, you know, I mean, obviously I kind of figured out she was a big name. She's done some big stuff. That's why she's on the show, but I love the topic of her book. Little did I know that my brother has a long history of awareness. Where did that come about? Oh man, I, I think I was, I was in Rwanda when I first heard of her because Ilea um, gave me her book and said, "Hey, you should check this out." The Soul of Money. It's the Soul of Money. Yeah, yeah that was the one from before, and I read it and thought, "Wow, amazing!" Uh, it moved me, changed my perspective on money forever. I use words every day to my children about. Uh, that, that is her language from that book about the energy of money. And but was it given to you because it was a book? I'm going to guess it was not given to you specifically because it was a book on money, but because it came from this, you know, profound humanitarian and her perspective on it. Uh, well, yeah, it was given to me because, yeah, as I, Leah, she, she thought that I would be receptive to Lynn in her talk about money because of who Lynn is. Okay. As a, this, you know, amazing visionary and humanitarian philanthropist and so on. And she was correct. <laughs> I, I had a listening mind at that point. Okay. Know? Fair. So, um, I thought, okay, cool. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I was, I was in desperate need. I don't think I knew that, but of, you know, some good wisdom on money. Uh, and, and in my case, you know, the soul of money really just transformed my understanding of, the idea of money altogether as a humanitarian activist that you know me to be i often demonized money you know the big corporate machine and, yeah. and all that um and, and i didn't have much of it consequently <laughs> yeah. um so i realized that from lynn's work and in, in the soul of money that uh money is an energy and, it, you know, and I've read other things that have, have sort of coupled alongside of her discussion on that, like Marianne Williamson and the, and the law of divine compensation and things like that. 
Uh, I, but Lynn's book brought me into this new space. Uh, and it wasn't it wasn't until I guess it was after I finished the book that I really tuned into her work with Pachamama Alliance, this global community that brings people the opportunity to learn and engage and travel and, and all that. And they're creating a purposeful future for all of us is, is their language around mm-hmm. that. And they work specifically with indigenous uh, communities, tribes in the Amazon area. And uh, yeah, since then, my focus has been very much on that, uh, that region. I've worked with indigenous communities, as you know, for my whole life. Uh, and now I work with another organization, Kaiulu. Uh, and right, and when I first started Kaiulu, the first person I talked about was Lynn. Was Lynn. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh my God, we got to talk to Lynn Twist because I've been following her work. It's a lot of what motivated me to do what I do. Well, and in the first of the book, she tells a story of her, of course, she has this context of, you know, her mom saying, you know, finish your food. There's people starving in Korea. And she's like, okay, mom actually lived in Korea. So like, you really witnessed this? She's like, yeah, literally people don't eat kids like you don't eat, which is still a goofy way to have us, you know, finish our plates in affluent America. That's another story. But you know, so she has this context of a heart for people, kids who don't eat here. She is at age 30 or something like that. And here's the message from, I forgot the guy's name who started the hunger project. Uh, that guy, she hears yeah, him talk. Yeah. But she hears yeah. him talk. She's like, there it is. I'm committing my life. It, it wasn't some big, I'm going to go prepare myself, but she committed her committed herself to it. And then yeah. boom, there she goes on spent a couple of decades there. And of course that's the focus of the book of making the commitment. So it made me think about you, Jared, my brother. And I remember mom, our mom, oh man, it's been a while ago. And she referenced a quote by you that you can't remember anymore. And it was something to the effect of you saying, man, I had all these fears and insecurities about myself. I'm paraphrasing. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and yet my desire to serve here is just bigger than that. So I'm gone. That was a, I do remember writing that actually. Yeah. Well, it's, Um, yeah. And I I remember the moment of thinking it and it was, I was having a moment and just thinking that I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) And, you know, and due to the nature of some of my work at that point in Rwanda, Congo area as, as an informant and kind of getting involved with the underbelly of things, um, uh, in terms of reporting on all that and working with human rights organizations and all that, I was scared. Like I was in a foreign country. I, I was learning the language at the time, which I speak now, but um, it was wild stuff more than what I'll probably get into here. But uh, suffice it to say, I, I had some real concern for my life. <laughs> well, yeah. I didn't mean to do this. I didn't intend to, but let's tell a story. 2003, you and I go out to California together. So I'm married. I've got, that was uh, a big pivot for me too. <laughs> I got three kids. Uh, you can say what you want about that, but you were coming out of some addictive, addictive, some addictions. Can we say that? Okay. To put it lightly, yeah. to put it lightly. And so you and I, and I'm, I'm, I got some issues on my own side, speaking of money and, and work and whatever. And so you and I take off to uh, California for some cycling stuff that I was involved in and we stayed with Tom Ritchie. So if anybody knows, all right. Yeah. Cycling, 
Tom Ritchie is one of the fathers of mountain biking, uh, along with Gary Fisher, Joe Breeze. And I can't even remember the other guy's name. There's another dude. Um, and they're literally these guys, you know, like, Hey, here's a 10 speed bike. Let's put some fat tires on them and go down a mountain. And so these guys created mountain biking. So I'm doing some business with Tom. We go out there and we stay, actually we didn't stay in Tom. We stayed in his RV. Um, yeah. 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 So we have some adventures out there. Tom is on, let's say the humanitarian side. He has this idea to go help in Rwanda and he wants to put on a bike race. Can we say long? He wanted to donate bikes at one point and things evolved. But okay. Yeah. Things evolved. Anyways, you, I don't know, man. I don't know how much we need to go into details of it, but you get asked to go over there and, and I was doing Hurricane Katrina relief work. Okay. Down there. Um, that had flown, I took a team of MMA guys down there and we flew down on a little Cessna through Angel Flights program and they dropped us off and I was on. Um, was it friendships, the, the old ships that they convert into humanitarian aid ships or whatever. It was a 1940s ship or whatever. I, I was there. I had a wild experience, not what I expected. We got attacked and stuff like that. It was, it was wild. Um, and I kind of had this, like, it's time for me to have a different experience. I want to go somewhere that pulls something else out of me. And it was literally a couple months later, like three months later, I think Tom, contacted me after years i hadn't talked to him in a few years um it said i who was he with um the purpose driven life rick warren yes purpose they were over there yeah. yeah they were over there on a tour you know tom was just hanging with those guys and said hey man i'd like to do something with bikes here he literally said i'd like to do something with bikes here <laughs> um and that was his in his email he said i expect you'll figure the rest of it out <laughs> so i was like all right that that sounds like our working relationship <laughs> um so you that, know, and so we did that yeah and i went you went to rwanda and it, what was it called uh it was called project rwanda project Rwanda, right i named it that wasn't that your entry point though over there to Rwanda. Yeah, I mean, for me, I thought, well, it's a six month project. I yeah. get a, I get everything paid for to go over there. I get, I, I can do bikes blindfolded. Yeah. That's that works. Um, and then I'm in the region, you know, that I, I was trying to get into Sudan at the time, uh, which would be South Sudan now that it's split. But I was trying to get into Darfur because I'd been writing and lobbying to to help there, but I wanted to go boots on the ground. Um. Anyway, well, I so you had, I mean, so you, <laughs> so you had, but you had some knowledge, you know, of this yeah. thing, but then, you know, that, that just happened. That was an opportunity like, yeah. So, I mean, you know, Tom also asked you to help build an experimental airplane and you said, oh, sure. And you did that, uh, up in Washington, I, I think with a buddy. Yeah. And then he's got this Rwanda bike race or whatever. And, but you, I mean, you, obviously you had a heart for humanitarianism and, and this it's not the point of the show is, you know, humanitarian efforts. It's, you know, Lynn's the commitment makes the person, but it just is such a fitting, you know, aspect of your life. I, I lived her, her philosophy. Okay. You know, not cognitive, cognizantly at the time, but I, I, yeah, you and I talked a, a while back. I think it was another interview that you did of me years ago. Um, and you asked me something about how I keep getting, you know, into these situations, but I said that I, something along the lines of, of, I just keep hurling myself into situations because I know that they'll pull something out of me that I can't access otherwise. Um, I'll learn as I go. 
And I think Lynn, and so much of what I've learned from her work is to say, you know, get involved, make the commitment and let it draw you in, let it draw the things out of you um, that will be the humanitarian you want to be. It's in there somewhere, but you have to hurl yourself into the situation for it to come alive and come out of you. And and that, I live that, man, over and over and over again. And somebody asked me, you know, have, for the audience here, I have an adopted son, Francois, whom I just spoke with this morning, actually. Um, and he, it was a Rwandan kid that I adopted when I was living there. Uh, we were doing life together and one thing led to another. Now he's my kid. <laughs> um, well, and that speaks to what I'm about to say. He, someone asked me, you know, how did you adopt this Rwandan kid as a single guy? I, I wasn't married at the time. Um, I wasn't even with anybody at the time. And I said, you know, I, I just kept saying yes. Things kept happening. And I just kept saying, yeah, I'll go another layer deeper on this. Yeah, I'll go. To, because every time I did, something else came out of me. And I think to, for me, that is a lot of the essence of what Lynn talks about uh, in, in all of her work. Uh, and she has this Awakening the Dreamers program at, at Pachamama Alliance that I have probably sent a hundred people to over the years because uh, I, I think it's a beautiful program, and it's basically a program that that does what you're talking, what she's talking about here, uh, and and taking you into the situation, making the commitments, coming alive, and then and then seeing what happens uh, to you as a human becoming a philanthropist or humanitarian. Okay, I got two pieces out of that I want to ask you about. So one. I talked about this recently in my book that, of course, as you know, I just finished, you know, finalized the manuscript of it. And it was as much as I was driven and you and I, it must be our parents' fault or whatever, are very driven. Doesn't mean we always know, have known where we're driving specifically, which of course, again, is a big part of my book. But I do say- part of your brand, I know. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I know. Yeah, you're you're doing my brand. Um, I do say though, I mean, or it came out as I was writing in there that I, I, a saving grace, let's say, was that I do look back and realize I was pretty connected to my values and that kept me from driving in a, you know, a, a really right. different direction that I didn't end up doing something totally disingenuous to who I am. So the values kept me there. So if we can say values slash purpose, and I'm going to say, so here we are, you and I had the same upbringing, you know, very different directions that we took methodologies, but we did have a heart for serving people in different, you know, different degrees that I would say, or my question was, you were driven by your purpose in these opportunities that you hurled yourself into. Were you cognizant of your purpose or is it just however the, you know, our, your values hit your heart and you went after them or did you know that? No, I'm, I'm, I am going to go serve in a third world country. No, I didn't know any of that. (laughs) Um, I, and I think what you're pointing at, which I'm just coming to myself understanding is that, and maybe this is what comes from our, our family is that we all really, really care a lot. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to take about 20,000 breaths, according to the EPA, 
the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and air doctor is just the best. Air doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top-tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply just in general and it's funny because i i've said in in you know in in hiring teams and things like that over the years i've told people like you need to really care a lot to be here in this culture that we're creating um like you really care a lot about whatever it is we're doing about humans about whatever then then i know you'll figure it out you know you'll do the work to figure it out and i know that when i hurl myself into a situation I care enough. I care so much. I, I won't let it fall apart. I'll just keep going and keep going. I've seen you do that, and in, in, even in your cycling and things like that, where you're just like, uh, I, I'm, "I'm, if I'm doing this, I'm doing it all the way, baby." <laughs> I, I believe the word that I use still, or the term for my family, is "full tilt boogie," which I got from you. I don't know where along the way, <laughs> but. I, I remember you saying that at one point and I, I took to it and I've been saying it ever since. <laughs> Do we need uh, those t-shirts? I know we're going full tilt boogie, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that it, it is uh, just that caring a lot. Um, and I think 
when you care a lot, it pulls you through the suffering that comes with things in life. It, it pulls you through the pain. And then from that suffering and pain awakens something extraordinary that we don't, we just can't access otherwise. It's not, it's like a door that's not accessible unless there's some sort of suffering, some sort of fear, some sort of pain, some sort of something negative. I, I think that's the, you know, the, the, what seems like a curse at the time, but it's also the blessing of life is, is that we're drawn into these deep moments. But I do think that like when you, you say we have to, that we're driven by our values. Yes. I don't know. I was always cognizant of exactly what it is that I valued other than I just cared a lot about humans and our planet. I mean, I still say that every day in my work. I would say an aspect of morality and ethics sure. and even spirituality, something bigger than yourself. I think we had that in common from our oh, yeah. parenting, even though we may not have been cognizant of, oh, I'm going to do it in this way. Jared says, I'm going to do it and yeah. serve a third world country. And I say, I want to do it on a podcast or, you know, whatever the things I've, I've done in the past, um, which we could say, okay, so if somebody's listening to this, that we had, would you say that we had the privilege of an upbringing that exposed us to that, exposed us to our parents and and through them, other people that had a higher calling and had a purpose. So we were kind of exposed to that. I, I would call that a privilege. For sure. If somebody does not feel that or does not resonate, that that's the place to start is figuring out what is that thing that uh, we, well, pass, yes, passions but, or breaks your heart is what I'm going to say. But go. Yes. But if I, if I'm Lynn twist in the room, yeah. I think I'd add into that, that it's not always just about like, find the thing that really pulls on your heart, find the thing that, that really, that you really love. That is part of it. And if you can do that, great. I have met people along the way that couldn't, they just didn't have it. It's like an empty bucket. Like, I don't know, but there's nothing really gets me riled up. I don't really think about it. It's not a, it's not something I, I really get into, or I can't really find something that I really get into. Um, and then they, uh, get into a situation that says like, I've just, I just agree to go to something like, like some people go on a mission trip or something like that, or they go on some, some journey or whatever, some adventure. And then all of a sudden along the way, something happens. They're like, Oh my God, I care about this. I had no idea. I care about these people. I care about this land. I care about this place, you know, whatever it is, even like a, piece of architecture a building or something people are like oh man I, i'm gonna take care of this place and make sure nothing happens here there's just but you don't know i think until you, until you just go into something I, I remember years ago joking with friends in, in east africa and saying we should just start an organization that just sends people around the world to have adventures like i remember when your daughter eliza my niece went on her adventure you know to europe and i was like She's going to learn so many amazing things. So many great things are going to come out of her, like just come alive in her. I love that. And that's, that's a real thing. Okay. Well, then I want to go back to what I was saying though, that, that, that if we're starting there, that you're cause you're saying it exposure. So if you're in a place where, like you said, that those people who are an empty bucket, like, I don't know, man, nothing really, th then you would say, well, just, you're going to have to get out there go, go expose yourself to, if you want to find that. I mean, if you don't want that passion, that yeah. bird. Okay. Well, and Lynn Twist says, step up into challenge to meet who you really are. Okay. And, I, and that, that sort of sums it up. It's like I, that, when people ask me, you know, why'd you go to Africa? Why'd you do this and that, whatever? I was like, if I had the words for it now, I'd say to meet who I really am. I, I didn't know that then. Um, 
I can say that and sound more eloquent now, but back then I was, I was like, I don't know. I just feel like there's something more inside me that I can't get to. And I feel I had enough exposure to sort of wild adventures. Even the last one at that time before going had been Rwanda. I, I mean, sorry, had been, um, before going to Rwanda was, was being in, in New Orleans. Yeah. And that Katrina event. And, I saw things come out of me. Yeah. And I mean, I, I was with a team of guys that were MMA guys, but a lot of them were former like army rangers and stuff. Um, and I felt like I really came into that fold. Well, I feel like I could have been in the military had I agreed with what was they were doing. <laughs> like, but, but that mindset of, of discipline and going after something, I found that I was good at that. I didn't know that. It's not like we were raised, we were not raised in a militaristic family. That's for sure. Dad was a conscious objector. <laughs> um, but discipline, I, I do believe that we are a very disciplined family. I'd say that out of all of us. Yeah. Well, and, and it, I'm, I'm thinking about just that we were, even even with the church aspect, you know, like it or not, that it was still a focus on a higher calling, something beyond yourself is what we were pretty much uh, bred in. Well, okay, so, so there's the purpose, but then that second part, which you just kind of said, or you did step up into challenge to meet who you really are. That committing, you said earlier, committing, the commitment making you is what I am. So, so here you, so if you can tap into get exposure, tap into that thing that, and I like the aspect of not both sides of an alignment, I guess, of whatever you're passionate about or breaks your heart. However it comes to you. I tend to be burdened by stuff is what I said or felt like, Oh, that, that grieves me is where I tend to, go towards and then how do you serve that and that being the commitment that makes you and i love lynn's perspective when she takes all the big names like gandhi and mother Teresa and whatever they didn't go to humanitarian school i don't think that exists but they didn't go you know to figure out how to do this they said well lynn twist has one called awakening the dreamer like she okay. literally created that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well now there is one go to, uh, it's, it's the only one that I know of, but yeah, <laughs> which, which, okay. So if you're, if somebody's interested in that, I, it's probably at Pachamama, uh, which shoot, I don't have the Pachamama alliance.org. Org, thank you. Pa, which spell it P A C H A M A. But no, yep. that's not right. Is it P Pacha? Oh, well, it, it, Pacha P A C H A M A M A. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, Gandhi, uh, I don't think did. So, and, you know, in her saying, no, the, no. Guy, the guy had a, and we probably say the same thing about Mandela or, or whatever, man. These people had a heart to go do something. And it's hard not to bring out the big names, you know, Martin Luther King and, and whatever. But I mean, there's people in daily life that care about, yeah, like you said, they care about, you know, pets or they care about helping this organization sell this product or service they believe in, whatever it is. We're not trying, I don't think we need to put it on a level of, and we talked about this with, you heard me talk about it with Lynn about not judging, you know, what it is, but finding right. that thing that, hits you then going to make the commitment to it and the commitment making you that's the thing that's so i was gonna say countercultural, but it's kind of not uh counterintuitive i mean because we think we were in a culture that you go whatever you want to do you go prepare for it you learn and i'm not dissing that yeah but you go learn and prepare yourself to do that and lynn's saying i mean it just like you said hur hurl yourself into it yeah. I mean, there's got to be a balance there. We're not talking about literally jumping off a cliff, but I, I, well, I think that what, 
what people struggle with sometimes is vision. I mean, that's part of why I, what I do in my work, as you know, with branding is like help people find kind of clarify their vision. But man, it, it's if I really wanted to do that, I'd say, hey, let's just go to East Africa together <laughs> or, or, or you know, Bangladesh or something. Let's just go hang out for a couple of weeks and see what happens. You'll probably find it there. And, and I think people don't understand that. But okay. there's, you know, even uh, Michael Beckwith, which which Lynn talked about in, in your interview with her, uh, he said pain pushes until vision pulls. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that. I love Beckwith anyway, but um, I, I really believe that it 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 um, you have to go through some level of challenge and and uh, mystery and like we we especially in America where we sort of pride ourselves on like knowing all the things we're very knowledgeable intelligent sort of society uh, in terms of knowledge uh, wisdom however <laughs> may be lacking and and it's the wisdom. That I think comes from that wisdom and vision, I think, are, are sort of tied together to some degree. Uh, when you're going through, when you're allowing yourself, if not putting yourself in, um, to, to go through some challenges and pain. Um, I, I know too many leaders that don't get themselves out of a situation that they dominate. You know, it's like you only play the sports you're good at or whatever. I'm like, well, I want to go do something that just rocks my world that I, I'm not good at and see what happens because I bet I'll find something inside me that I couldn't get to otherwise again I keep saying that over and over but I think that that's kind of a been a theme in my life and certainly a theme in Lynn's work okay I want to ask you about that then because that is it's not contrary to what I'm about to say somehow there's an alliance and you can help me figure out what it is because well because like you said okay if you and I jump in a plane go to East Africa <clears throat> you know and boom, throw us out and, and we're there that we're going to find, uh, find where our heart breaks, find some passion and, and whatnot, but not, but, and, and then how do you reconcile that with, we're probably going to be, be, I'm not saying j- just you and me, but maybe you and me, but people, you're going to still be best served and serve best finding a role that is fitting for you. Meaning we may go there and you decide, dude, I'm going yeah. out on the street. Like you did, you end up, I'm out on the streets. I'm going to work with these women out of sex slavery and help them. No, no, no. I just went too far that we see the sex slavery and we go, Oh my gosh, breaks, breaks both of our heart. We're annihilated. Right. We're going, we need to fix that. Yeah. Now, then the question of how do we, how do we best do that? I would dig sitting back with you and going, okay, here's the problem. Where's an opportunity. And you know, how, how can we invent something to solve this? That's, that's dude, that's my, and I, I think that's uh, in a lot of ways you too is doing that. I want to do that. And then, um, okay, now who's going to go actually live with them and help them do this. That That's not really, it's not really me. I, I don't feel competent in that. It's like when I went to the children's home, a native American children's home down in New Mexico for the first time. And I thought, yeah. okay, man, I'm gonna take these kids and I'm gonna, I'm gonna inspire them, man. And they're going to go kick butt. I, I was terrible. It was not the best thing where I was best was working with the guy who runs the place on coming up with ideas to get more support so that people can, who are equipped to help the kids face to face can do it better. I was not. So I found my role. That's what I'm trying to get to. I should, I didn't. But you found your role because you went to do another role. You went to do it. That's the thing. That's true. 
So okay. if you now, there's two moves there though. One is is do, going to throw yourself into the challenge, which yeah. you did. Okay. The second is being wise enough to recognize that you, you maybe aren't the, the best equipped to do that one thing. No, I think I was the worst. Be a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there may be a better role for you there, which you found. So, okay. You know. I, I totally, and I totally missed this. I don't think I think I talked to Lynn with this. I forgot that I actually did this kind of did some of this. Yeah. So, so we wanted to expose our kids to people really in need, but the idea of taking them to a third world country with however many of us were at the time, is like, you, you can know. find a third world country in America. all Well, over. so through my wife, we did. So we found this went down there and you're right. So we're like, okay, how can we help? And you, you know, help with the food line and help with whatever and paint walls. I'm going to do this. And, it, and that didn't fit me. And I found a role then stepping back and, and cause I was terrible at yeah, working with the kids in a way that met them well, that inspired them. I was not good at doing that. Just wasn't. And that it was me- challenging for me too, man. Uh, and I was out of my depth and I felt like, oh my God, what am I doing? And again, in that particular situation, that put me in decent amount of danger. Um, you know, and I had some rowdy consequences for that often, even with the government there. Um, but that, it, it, it's still, it's like, it felt like I was in the game, you know, like you go in there and, and go into the res and, and doing all that. Like you were in the game. Yeah. That that's, I think part of what there, what, what Lynn's talking about, what, what Michael Beck was talking about. It's like, you have to hurl yourself into the game, you know, and, and, and be part of it in order to find the thing that you're looking for. Um, the role that you may play best. I think when people get too attached to the role that they think they'll play best, again, sort of an American cultural element for us is that we didn't just go after it. We go after it. We go after it. Like, oh, it's not working. Well, I'm just going to keep going after it. I'm gonna, instead of just stepping back, taking a breath, and listening to the moment around you, listening to the people, and saying, ah, wait a minute, maybe there's another role here that I could serve. And, and I need to tune into that instead of just going, you know, going for gold, uh, which we tend to do as humans in general. And I, again, I think a lot of that's kind of an American thing. I agreed. And then we and then we burn out and end up abandoning it. So and then we say that thing didn't work. Exactly. Exactly. So that's what I was trying to come to. So let's say let's make it yeah. close to home here. So let's say it's not some human. Uh, well, it is humanitarian. We are talking about humanitarian stuff, but you can do that here in America. And you could even do that by looking around yeah. and going, holy smokes, here we are in this highly knowledgeable, affluent, uh, uh, uh play culture. And yet look at the health stats. We're killing ourselves. And every bad health stat is higher now than ever. Diabetes, heart disease. I mean, autoimmune stuff. I mean, yeah. you, you name it, it's all higher. So that's something that can some there's a lot of people out there that breaks their heart. So how are you going to go do that? Oh my gosh, I need to be a doctor. Well, that's that's one way. Um, I could be a health coach. Okay, that's another way. I could create a you know nutritional supplement. That I mean, and then we can go down the line. And there's so many different ways, product, services, and roles. And thinking that oh, if I'm going to do that, I just need to be in the medical field. I think that's what you're talking about. We go, we go, and we're too narrow in our concepts of how we could, what role we could fit in, what methodology we could fit in to help that thing. So we're saying, okay, if that's what breaks your heart is American obesity, let's say, and you want to go there. Cool. Now go and figure out where you're going to serve best, which kind of comes to, I mean, we recently had 
Patrick Lencioni on the show and he's got his working genius. That's workinggenius.com is where you can go or his book is called Working Genius. And he's kind of showcasing this. Okay, where do you fit best? Are you, do you fit back in sitting back and discerning a problem or an opportunity and then coming up with an invention for it? Or do you are you over here and you're gonna be better at how to grow it, how to maintain it, how to scale it? You know, where is your best fit is what we're talking about. So the exposure and then the fit. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, a, a, a good testimony to that, my my friend Sam Dargan, um, who I, I, went, I lived with for five years in Rwanda. Um, when I first got there, he was just kind of a loose contact through Tom Ritchie. Uh, I don't even know how they knew each other. But uh, Sam is from... Um, South Carolina. I can't remember the name of the town, but, um, and he, you know, me from Nashville, him from South Carolina, two Southern boys ended up together in Rwanda of all places. Uh, he went there to study with his cousin, Caleb, Caleb, that had started a, um, a hospital there, uh, and, and became a very, uh, it was a hospital that made a big difference in that region. It's where, where Francois, my son is from, uh, in the Northern part of, uh, in Ruhenjedi is where it's called. And he went there thinking, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to do the things. I'm going to, I'm going to get involved. What he found out when he got there was like, Oh my God, they're doing surgery and the power keeps going out. Like hmm. what on earth? Like you can't be in a surgical position situation. And then the power just goes out. And he noticed they just kept going like, like, you know, like nothing happened. It was just so normal. And he was like, Oh my God, what's going on with the power? He started studying stuff about power. He was pretty young at the time. Um, he just moved back to the States, but he was there for 17 years. Um, and he he became Solar Sam, the solar energy guy for East Africa. He did wild things. I built all his brand stuff too while I was there. And I got really deep into the understanding of renewable energy. He didn't just do solar. He also did lots of other renewables, biomass and stuff like that. But he went to Rwanda for a three-week trip to become a medical intern. He left 17 years later as like <laughs> the king of solar energy. <laughs> um, awesome. But it was because he hurled himself into the situation and, and there is where he found something. Uh, like there's a, you know, there's some emotional stories around that about him just weeping, going, oh my God, what? how can this be that these kids have no power, that there's no electricity here, there's no, and it's in a, in a medical situation. It's one thing to be without electricity out in the bush. It's another thing to be needing surgery at a hospital that's tending to all these, these yeah. humans. Um, so I, I think, again, like I've been in, I could probably name off a hundred different situations that I've been in where I just threw myself into the situation and then listened for my role. Maybe that's what we're talking about. It's like, throw yourself in and then listen for where you belong here. I'm writing that down. Throw yourself in. And what'd you say? And find out where you belong. And listen. L listen. Oh, for did I role. say that? Listen? Yeah. Find listen out. for your role. Listen. Oh, that's even I better. think that even the finding out part is, is sort of takes us in a wrong direction because it's a it's like you're crafting something. And, and you know, I, I talk a lot about craft and crafting things intentionally. And, and that's there's a time and a place for that. I have a lot of respect for that. Yeah. I also have a lot of respect for listening and just taking a pause 
and being somewhere without running my mouth. That also runs in our family. We're both on a podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> I get paid to run my mouth, man. <laughs> I have too many times. So it, it's, but just to listen, yeah, and to listen to the moment. I, I said that earlier. I think that's the first time I've ever said that, but like to, just to listen to what's happening in this moment that I could, that could draw something out of me that could tune yeah. me into something I'm unaware of. I guess it's interesting now. I'm just thinking about me quipping that I get paid to run my mouth. No, I actually get paid more to listen. If I'm just running my mouth, I don't think anybody would listen uh, right. to the show. It's for me to listen and, and, and hear the message, hear what's, what's happening. Okay. It's, you know, I, I find myself even talking with Lynn and with you, and I'm almost trying to veer towards out of the deep humanitarian stuff because I want to make it palatable for everybody and say, Hey, whatever, even if it's your career, you know, you're in college or whatever, just to look at that thing and hurdle yourself in. But maybe I shouldn't downplay the deep humanitarian aspects because they do hit our heartstrings. So even if you think, man, I'm not really looking to devote myself to go live in Rwanda for 13 years or to go to a native American reservation and serve there or whatever. That's, that's not what I'm looking for. And that's okay. We're not holding that up as a Holy grail, but it, or you, uh, volunteering for a hurricane relief, but it does those types of things and I just got off a show with somebody I'm probably going to have you do the show with me on as well. Peter uh, Mutabazi, who's from uh, Uganda. Uganda, And and we're talking about some similar things there. Um, getting involved in those things from a deep human need are pretty dramatic for showing you what you do care about. Even if you want to come out and say, I'm going to devote myself here in America or wherever it is, you know, to a fortune 500 company that's devoted to sustainable energy. Okay. I don't really want to go to third world country. I want to find, and, but you, you might find that desire. So for all those who you talked about, who may feel a bit of a void of going, I don't know what I care about. I think we're finding that. I'm seeing that more. Jerry. This is my point. We're seeing more is it may be the most acute way to figure it out. What it is you care about. Is that fair? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, this delineation between, you know, business and, and humanitarian world is something that we get caught up in too. Yeah. And there's, there's a desire or, or there's a feeling that, or belief, I should say, that humanitarian work is about going to fix something that's broken. Um, I might have said the same thing and probably believed a lot of the same thing in my first half of life. Um, Lindquist also uh, quoted, I'm going to read it here, uh, Rachel Naomi Remen. And she said, helping, fixing, and serving represent three different ways of seeing life. When you help, you see life as weak. When you fix, you see life as broken. And when you serve, you see life as whole. Hmm. Now, I, I would then add on uh, another another quote, actually, that came out of that same interview. I, I was really eating up that interview, by the way. <laughs> it was great. Um she quotes Howard Thurman, uh, and he says, don't ask the wor what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it, because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Now, that serves you in whatever industry you're in. If you're, I mean, if you're in a Fortune 500 company or if you're, in, if you're serving soup at the you know, downtown in New York City 
or if you're in Bangladesh helping school kids, um, that the world needs people that have come fully alive. Maybe it's not just about the next humanitarian thing that you're going to do to fix something or for the, uh, for the people that you're going to serve. But much like my case in Rwanda, sure, I was helping. I, I, I actually just got a text on WhatsApp from one of the women that I worked with. Um, that would have been 15 years ago. This November, I, I did some date checking today on some other things, and it, it, it was the same thing. So 15 years ago, I was working with these women, pulling them out of sex slavery and doing all that kind of stuff. And the work that I did there was wonderful in their lives, and it changed their lives. I'm happy for that. I'm grateful to have contributed to that. Oh, man, it would be hard for me to say that it didn't change my life just as profoundly. Mm-hmm. Um I the the things that came out of me the 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 me that I found there <laughs> that I couldn't have found otherwise man um it yeah it still moves me today just to just to think back to that and to recognize that I again I don't know how cognizant of it I was of this but I I I can look back and say that what happened is that I found myself there um because I was in those situations and those challenges facing things that I thought, are you serious? Like how, how, how many times I sat in some situation, whether it be a jail cell in Rwanda for political activism or, or, you know, or atop some mountain having a beautiful view, you know, in, in, in uh, Kenya or something and thinking like, I'm here right now. Oh my God. <laughs> like I I've, I've had moments of just feeling so alive, whether I be near death <laughs> in some hallucination from uh, uh, malaria, you know, fevers or something, which I had many, many times, or in some elation of, of being uh, seeing some beautiful scene like the night sky in Mombasa with a full moon and just being like, oh, my God, it's amazing. Uh, but it was those moments that that affect everything that I do. I mean, I, I'm and I work with you doing the podcast work that you're, you're doing. I work with an events company that does events for space, <laughs> you know, things like that. They're not overtly humanitarian, but my personal vision that I have written down years and years ago, I don't remember. It's been a long time, but my vision is my, my purpose is to let my light shine so bright. It liberates the light in others, which is pulling from some Marianne Williamson quotes from when I was young, but yeah, that's I can do that anywhere I go, anywhere I go. I can shine so bright that I I liberate the light in others, no matter what I'm doing. Well, and and that I would say is that that's that's most important because um, you can't light others up unless you're lit. So get lit. That's our <laughs> that's T-shirt number two, man. There you go. I, I love your term though. Overtly humanitarian. It wasn't overtly humanitarian, but you know that you're serving. Your heart's calling. But I want to come back yeah. to what you said about that quote by Thurman about doing what makes you come alive. Because again, at the top of the show, we're talking about hurling yourself into something that is probably going to be at least initially uncomfortable, uh, fearful, you're not prepared for, insecure, whatever. So, uh, we're, and you're probably never going to get to that point. I, mean, I was thinking earlier about being a parent. If you have not been a parent, 
I don't know. You can't fully prepare. It's just impossible. You can't. I don't, I don't hardly hang out with anybody that isn't a parent because I'm like, you're living in another world, man. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that, I mean, how do you fully prepare to be a parent before you've been one? You just can't. And then when you've oh, got you, a no. newborn, how do you fully prepare to have a toddler? Well, you can't until you've have it. It's going to make you. Yeah. And so in the same way, so you're going to have a level of discomfort and, and, and whatnot. So, but then we're going to, I still want to come back to that, finding your role, finding your fit in there, because if you're a year into X, Y, Z and you hate it, that that's not the point. And I'm saying that Jerry, because you know that a lot of people go into service, whether it's, you know, church or a job or whatever, and they, then a year later, they, they hate it, but they think they're being valiant by continuing on and pressing on and pushing through and whatever. And I'm going, dude, if you hate it, you're not helping anybody at least. I mean, I, yeah, go ahead. I, I, well, I had a, a, another direct example of that. And when I remember, uh, Francois, my son saying, when I chose to leave Rwanda, um, after years of kind of fighting to clear my name and to make sure the women were protected and all that kind of stuff, because there were some people that came after us, as yeah. you know, but for the listeners, um, some things, th- things got wild. <laughs> um, and I stayed and I, I fought the good fight. Uh, I didn't want to be banned from Rwanda cause then I could never see my son or, or we, we would have, we would be limited in that way. Um, and if he went out, he couldn't go back and all that kind of stuff. So I, I said, no, it's worth it to stay and, and clear this. I did fully exonerate of all the things and they're sorry. It was a big misunderstanding. I'm like, yeah, tell me about it. Uh, but anyway, I stayed and worked that out. But then after that, I said, dude, this is not a fight that I need to continue to fight. My fighting is causing more fighting. I need to go. I, the, the, the women are off, you know, they're, they're, they're doing amazing things. At that point, we had sort of dissolved the program, but they were going on. One of them went on to be a director of another nonprofit, like a, from the United States, and she is thriving. I think she has 11 kids now, by the way. <laughs> um, and uh, Jane is her name. And so I, I was grateful for all that. And I said, me being here, I've served my role. Like I, I did the thing I was supposed to do. And at that point, I had no idea what I was going to do next. Now, it turns out I went to spend another five years in Kenya, which I had no idea I was going to do at the time. Um I remember him saying to me, Mze, which means old man. It's like a respectful way of saying old man. Um, Mze, I've never seen you quit before. Like, you're not a quitter. And I was like, I'm not quitting. It's like, I'm wise enough to know when to leave. It's different than quitting. And and you have to, I think you have to find that that moment in you. Because uh, it's not just like quit when things get difficult. That's That's antithetical to the whole point we've been talking about. But if it's just this this ongoing thing, then at some point it's time to say, okay, look, maybe this has served its purpose, and it's time for me to go on to the next thing. Well, cool. That's an ask. intuitive part, though. That's the most difficult part to navigate. I think. Okay, well, let's play with the quitting thing because I hear what you're saying. You're not quitting, but you could have. It's semantics with words, but I think it matters. You could have said, "Yeah, I am quitting." Words matter. <laughs> I know. Yeah, thank you. I know you you know that too. Um, you could have also said, "Yeah, I am quitting this specific what." methodology, vehicle, whatever. I'm not quitting Fight my- at the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I was looking- good at fighting the, I was fighting the government. I, I was fighting for these women to, to get better policies for how they're treated, uh, for how women are treated in Rwanda for all this stuff. But it was always a fight. 
I was a political activist. So you could just said, it's time for me to quit the political activism of women's rights in Rwanda, because that's what I was essentially. Uh, okay, doing. okay. I'm trying to find the common th- the thread that, that you so you've never quit activism. For let's no. say humanitarian act, you've never quit that. There are different roles and efforts that you said, yeah, this isn't working, or this is the time is my time here is is over, or, or whatever. So you've, uh, so I'm I'm trying to play with that. That there is a because there are some things that I feel like, gosh, I I quit that effort, that initiative. But not. I think people also think that there's this long purpose. That's like this is my purpose. It's gonna be the one thing, and I'm like probably not. (laughs) Like maybe this is your purpose for this moment, for this role. You have a purpose for this role, and then you could move on to another role and have another purpose that's just as wonderful and valiant. Wait, okay, no, no, hold on. Is it? Did uh, words matter? Has your purpose changed, or just the methodology of walking out that purpose? I think we're getting into what where where I do phrase this very intentionally. Okay. You've heard That's me what say I'm asking. This, not only as my brother, but as my client. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, that I ask, what are you committed to cause? And I'm going to say for you, that hasn't changed. Well, what I'm committed to cause is to bring the light out in other people. Okay. That can happen in different chapters. So it happened in I Rwanda. It's happening in different. space for humanity. You're helping me do that. Yep. I hope. Yep. <laughs> well, that, um, but that's what I'm asking just for people's yeah. terminology. So did uh, that's why my I'm, role has changed a hundred times over the years. Well, but you just said the purpose may change and I'm just playing with that. Did the, well, purpose, the purpose in each one of those roles was pretty specific and it changed a lot. Um, like from one place to the next, my purpose in that role was not the same as the one prior or, or after, but my, my, your overall my vision, purpose is my okay. vision All right. was to call, was to bring light into every situation. My name on Gaza, it's <laughs> another story, but that means to bring light. That was a name I took intentionally before I got married and so on for the listeners. Um, but it's a Swahili word that means to bring light. So that that is the vision that I have that serves any purpose I may have be, may be involved with any any purpose for any one situation that may come up. Um, that it. No, hold on. That's, it, that's, it is interesting. I didn't foresee going into this, but Nor as we <laughs> as we talk so much about purpose, like what is my purpose? So hard for people to conceive. And honestly, if I look at that and ask, what is Kevin's purpose? Because I was, I was almost about to disagree with you on purpose, but now you're winning me over. Because vision, if I if I put that in, I continually have a similar vision that I want to serve humanity in, that I want to yeah. serve myself in. A, 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 you know, a vision, a, something that pulls on me that may not pull on someone else. Something pulls on them that doesn't pull on me. You know, whatever. But I have a certain vision, and so what is what is my purpose? Well. To, for that, for the vision, I'm, I'm pursuing that vision in this thing, this role, this initiative today, and my purpose in it is X, and that may change because yeah, you're right. There have been times when I've said that's just the season's gone. Um, I'm not doing that. I mean, I spent so much time helping people pursue self-employment. My purpose was to help them pursue freedom and, and right. whatever. And I'd say even that, to some degree, is that my purpose now? Now it's kind of changed, but the vision for me overall and the role that I need to be in, I'm, I'm pretty clear on. 
But when I see you with a consistent thread in your vision of helping people untangle things and remove barriers, we've talked a lot about that recently in our work together. Yeah. Um, And that can happen in lots of different ways. Man, we could be in some crazy situation in some jungle and something's going down and you're like, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) Like, let me help you untangle this. Like I, I could see you doing that, and like, uh, okay, let me let me get in there, and, and we've got to remove some barriers here. Um, I love MacGyver. We got some string, we got some leather, and a horse tooth. What can we, we, were, we, we were raised on that. <laughs> I stuff. love that guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Me too. Um, but yeah, I was just thinking about that, and and thinking that, you know, the purpose may be to like you know, get a car over a river or something, or, or I'm pulling from one of my own things back in Costa Rica, but. Um, in that moment that that there's a purpose in every moment i think and and your vision helps you serve that purpose to your greatest ability uh and i think we need to leave room for things to 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 change and evolve over the years i mean even our vision i mean every everything i think should be evolving we we are evolving if we're if we're if we're healthy, I think we're evolving, whether you're talking about the planet or, or the, the, the humans on it or just an individual, whatever. Like we should be evolving. And, and I, I've said a lot of my brand work that, uh, you know, don't just nail something to the wall here and think it's going to be here forever. We're going to do what's best for this moment. And, and maybe that moment is another couple of years. But it should evolve. Like, I don't expect my clients. I have, again, you know, I have clients come back 10 years later, like, hey, let's do another another couple rounds or whatever. Uh, and I have clients that come back every couple of years and say, hey, I'm ready for a tune-up. Let's do, you like, did that. Like me. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah. you did that. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, hey, man, what we did back, you know, two years ago was great. And it served the goal. You got a book deal. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm grateful. We're grateful. But think about how vastly that, that different that is from what we've just now created and are launching now. It's so different. Um, and, and the words around it are, are different. There's some of the same threads there for sure. But you have different clarity. You've had different experiences since then. Your purpose is evolving. And, and, I, and I think strengthening consequently because you're allowing it to evolve because you keep going after further understanding. Man, I'm thinking about yeah the vision. Again, you talking about that. Well, actually, let's, I'm going to go back to earlier and you saying... In essence, find something you care about. I mean, at the heart, when I think about my kids, I'm thinking about the culture and the apathy and the lack of purpose and whatever is get out there and expose yourself to whatever. That's the first part. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Expose yourself to whatever. Throw yourself into some uncomfortable, challenging situation. Let the challenge pull something out of you that you probably can't access sitting behind your desk, drinking a mocha you know, with your, with your laptop or whatever, you, you just can't get there from here. <laughs> it's one of those things. Hey, can, it's can like you, you have to throw yourself into it. I got a question for you is, do you look at, uh, gosh, this is kind of, I uh, whatever you look at, at, at Elon Musk as a humanitarian. I mean, this is a bit loaded, especially I know. considering what's going on right now, well, but that's a, maybe it's a bad example, but I, I do understand and have worked in his world for quite a bit, especially in the, at SpaceX. Yeah, and I know the SpaceX world, and I know their staff and and the the what it's like to work there, and every, everyone loves it, by the way. But I'm setting that aside from some of the other yeah. wild, weird stuff that's going on now with Twitter and whatever. When I'm not looking um, to uphold I, him, I'm just no, I get that. I'm but to, to to look at 
him and say, does he fundamentally desire to dominate and, and rule the world? Or does he fundamentally desire, because I say that because a lot of people think that, or does he fundamentally desire to actually to try to try to fix things? And maybe I could say, I do think that he's trying to fix things. I do think that he might be viewing the world as broken, which is sort of antithetical to the thing that we talked about earlier from that quote from Rachel Naomi Raymond. Um, maybe he sees the world as broken and needs to be fixed rather than seeing the world uh, and, and wanting to serve in that space and not only to serve, but to serve, not to serve others, but also to serve himself. I mean, th there's that, that saying drink as you pour. Um, mm -hmm. And, and that's a, that's a, uh, it's an important concept that I forgot many times or didn't know and then yeah. forgot and, and so on. But I'm learning more and more and more that, I have to drink as I pour and Elon works a hundred hours plus a week. And he brags about that and says, that's what we should be doing. He tells everybody at Twitter, you're going to have to work double time and all that. I think he's way off in that regard. Do I think that his intentions are to, to help make a better world? Yes, I do. And I've seen that play through many times. Well, and we go, and to play with that, I'm just thinking about some, if somebody says you meant, cause you mentioned in essence a minute ago that you'll find something you care about. It's generally going to be about, I think it's primarily always going to be about people. Even if you say, I want to save the planet, why it's for people. If you want to save animals, how do we extrapolate that to people? I mean, it's still a, it's a part of the planet. It's part of humanity, whatever, but the final no one's trying to save animals such that we just have a planet with only animals. Okay. Like yeah. who's going to appreciate them? Why would it matter? Okay. So, so still in relation to humanity. So, yeah. So, so to doing that, and if you look at, I guess maybe my bigger question with, with, you know, I mean, if you look at, you know, Hitler, um, it's hard to find a humanitarian, you know, aspect to that. But if you find Musk, even if his core desire is to be the richest man on planet earth, and yet he's doing that through something like creating electronic cars, which actually helps emissions and is helping the planet. And you well, have and the a batteries and, and things that he created have done wonders for yeah. developing worlds. I, I'm still involved in some of those projects and the, the solar technology that he created through Tesla has changed the developing world in ways I can't even hardly describe. And the satellites that he's doing with Starlink now are, are, are providing access in places that's, that it never was. Before. I told you that, right? I just got that. So that's our internet. Yeah. Oh yeah. You have Starlink. Yes, yeah, this morning. Yeah. Out, so we live surrounded by a national forest and in a valley where we get no cell, no internet, no nothing. I got Starlink and this morning I had 160 megabytes down, uh, so yeah, thank you, Elon Musk. But my point being, you know, if if you're, he also gave his blueprints away for all of that technology and said, "Go world, yeah. make more solar power, do it. We need it." And you can't say that the guy's just looking for world domination when, right. when he makes moves like that. Yeah, when and I, he never tried to be rich, he just ended up that way. And when I'm fishing for, if you find something you care about and say, yeah, I want to serve the planet and I am irritated with, you know, emissions or whatever. And I'm being real layman's term in, in elementary here. And you want to go work at Tesla. You can connect those dots is what sure. I'm trying to get to. You can connect those dots. And, and it meaning you, I don't want everybody feeling like you have to go to a third world country though. I am going to say it's pretty dramatic way to get involved with people. Uh, the least of these is what you brought to my 
perspective to work with people who are really in dire straits to pull out some of the core things from your heart it is a significant way. I'm not going to say it's the only way that you have to you, do you that. You can go to a multitude of Indian reservations around the world, around the United States, sorry. And in a homeless uh, shelter, I, you know, to, or to homeless some shelter, whatever. To some degree, yeah. But I mean, you can go to a land like uh, Pine Ridge uh, Reservation in Oglala, South Dakota, and see things that you cannot believe are in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. You Dakota access pipeline resistance in in, in uh, Standing Rock, and that that was the stuff that happened there. If you saw it just on video and didn't know better. You'd say that was in Sarajevo or something. There's no way that could happen in America, and it's happening right here. Yeah, and and those those places exist here. Yeah, so it did not. I, I didn't go to Africa to save the Africans. I went to find myself, and and I did want to run and hunt with the Maasai and things like that, which I did. Thanks. Uh, I appreciate grateful. the sword you bought me. I still have it. So. Oh yeah, sweet. <laughs> um, and that was epic. You know, I wanted to do that since I was a kid and I did, and I'm privileged to have done that. I did it on about 50 bucks, you know, <laughs> I did, I did the Poman's version, but, um, but that was better. I walked for three weeks out in the wilderness with two Maasai guys and yeah. animals everywhere. And it was, it was nuts, but I mean, you can have experiences. Where, yeah. It's not about going to some other country and it's not about doing something overtly humanitarian. It's about putting yourself in situations that challenge you to the extent where you're not comfortable, where it's not easy. This, this book that you just turned me on to the, the comfort crisis. Oh my gosh, this is very much about this. And he talks about putting yourself in those situations. Um, and, and it's, uh, I think the world would be so blessed by more people getting out of their comfort zone into some sort of challenge and letting it, letting that, that challenge and that pain pull something out of you uh, that you wouldn't ordinarily allow or have access. To. And that man, we can, and we can end, you know, right on that. We need to get the comfort crisis guy on the show. And then you and I talk about it because yeah. again, I think we look at it errantly. We look at the word discomfort and, and whatnot and think, Oh yeah, I've got to go serve in a third world country and feeding people soup. And that sucks. That's not the, when we look at discomfort, people go to amusement parks to be uncomfortable go on a Ferris wheel or a loop-de-loop yeah. thing to be uncomfortable. So we watch horror films or I don't, but people do to be, unco- I know, but to be uncomfortable. I mean, we, we like that. Because- I have things built into my day every day to make me uncomfortable for sure. Well, and so you say Even it's working some- out to some degree it's uncomfortable. to get out. So, and you said it earlier, something to get out, draw out something in me that I can't access otherwise. So we love, yeah. I mean, my gosh, even, and we don't need, this is another you know issue going into, uh, drugs and whatever, but to some degree we do that to be, you know, especially certain drugs. Um, we could do a show on that another time, but to pull yeah. things out of us. So we're not talking about this hellish yeah. discomfort. We're talking about a freeing, beautiful discomfort that you find immense joy and awesomeness and not the, I think, again, we confuse it with, I got to go be in discomfort and then work at something horrific to serve people. Well, dude, that is not serving people well. So that's what I'm trying to flip on its head. And I think Lynn does a great job at that. And you've lived a life of that. Yeah. And yes. Yeah. And, And I've lived a life of that partly due to things that I've learned from Lynn twist and her amazing teachings. I'm grateful for what she does and who she is and how she shows up in the world. Oh, that's the best rap I can think of. Thanks brother. Thank you, brother. Okay, everyone here is to you. 
and getting clear on your vision. Again, you can find Jared at Jared, J-A-R-E-D, on Gaza, A-N-G-A-Z-A dot com and see what more he's involved with. And of course, you can find Lynn Twist's amazing book, Living a Committed Life Anywhere. Thank you, as always, for choosing to tune in to the Self-Helpful Podcast. I hope you'll leave us a rating or a review about what you felt about this episode and the show in general. Best thing you can do, talk about what you heard here with someone else. It helps you digest it more, embrace it more, learn from it more, and grow from it more. And it helps them as well. I sincerely hope I've helped you help yourself so that you can help others. 